the NFL podcast is always ready to go long. Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL podcast. My name is Dan Hansis. I come to you from a virtual room filled with some heroes. Greg Rosenthal, Mark Sessler. Oh, heroes. It's a spooktacular edition of the podcast, the flagship show, Halloween night and uh, trick or treat, as they say, Greggy. And it was a treat for a lot of teams that had unsung, unheralded backup quarterbacks in big spots. Mm. Yeah, if you uh, were once coached by Adam Gase, you had quite a day. It was a fun. It was a fun Sunday. I mean, because of the surprising results, uh, and because we got to do it at home, and um, that was that was nice. Get a little trick or treating in while after we watched some of the football was perfect. There is an immense um, rager happening about fourteen feet from my head um, out the window at my neighbor's house. I can't decipher what actions are taking place, but it's a very um, festive Halloween night here in the neighborhood. I'm also glad that we did what we did because we all got a chance to take our kids out trick-or-treating a little bit um, amid a wild Sunday night uh, football game, if you want to use that word, but it only capped off not only for the Jets, but other teams, a pretty dramatic week eight. Yeah, the Jets were one of those teams that had an unlikely performance from a backup. Uh, When you say that there's something crazy going on next door, because Halloween is itself, there are the parties and things of that nature. And yes, my um, Vincent Vega uh, t-shirt did come in time, and I had a good time last night at an adult Halloween party. But usually it's about the kids on Halloween proper, but you seem to hint before we jumped on that there might be something a little bit more zesty happening next door right now. I can only use... um you know, the evidence provided audio-wise to my ears, and there is um, station next door to my house, um, our rental house, because we'll never own a house in California ever, um, a gigantic <laughs> camper that's continually parked there. And, you know, I, I am assuming that, like, older, sleepy relatives typically inhabit that vehicle, but what I've been hearing um, would suggest other events um, not involving old, sleepy So humans. when the so- Airstream is a-rockin', don't blank a-blankin'. That's that's well said. I think wow. you, you've you've put it into. No, I'm I, not saying that's been continuous. There are other things too, but there was, there, you know, maybe that was part of it. That's let's get Gravedigger uh, in this car. Send him over to your neighborhood, and maybe he can get some like boots on the ground reporting on what's going on next to Sessler's house. So we'll continue to track that situation. But yes, there were many a football game played on this Sunday, Halloween Sunday. Let's start a great scene down in uh, New Orleans at the Superdome, where the defending champions ran into a buzzsaw. Time to throw. That one is picked off. Picked off on the right-hand side. And it's going to be a touchdown, New Orleans. What a play. Pick six. Happy Halloween. (laughs) Mike Haas with the call for WWL. I don't know if it was the fact that it was Halloween and, you know, everybody's in a good mood and then a little, uh, you know, dressed up in costumes and maybe getting a little loose at the stadiums. But there were some great vibes at some of these stadiums today. And uh, the Superdome, that place was rocking after P.J. Williams intercepted Tom Brady, returned it 40 yards for a touchdown with just 124 to play. And that was the key play in the Saints. 36-27 win over the Bucs. 
Uh, so a huge win for the Saints, who really, you know, that's what you call the old statement win, saying we are a true conference superpower who can beat anyone, including Tom Brady, in a big spot. However, there was the bad news of Jameis Winston, who got pulled down on a horse collar type tackle in the first half of this game, suffered a left knee injury. Ian Rappaport uh, reported after the game that it's an ACL injury uh, and also potentially MCL damage. And when Sean Payton spoke on uh, the injury after the game, he had this to say. Yeah, I'm going to get an update here. I think it's significant. Um, He felt something. um, And he's on crutches right now. Um, I don't want to say until... I have a chance to talk with the doctors, but um, you know it, it was something. When, you know when he got up and then had to go back down, you you know you, you were a little concerned. So as we tape this, Greg, uh, you know we're bracing for the news that I think a lot of people are expecting that Jameis Winston's season ended tonight or today in New Orleans. So it is a bittersweet uh, moment for the Saints, the biggest win of the year, but also the biggest loss of the season injury-wise. Yeah, it is, and I, I don't think they were letting it get them down. I know that even Jameis wasn't letting it get him down. You know, they did their Club Saints thing in the locker room afterwards, and Mark Ingram's on the IG stories, and it's, it's the most Jameis thing ever that I will remember his Saints season as a starter for swinging his crutches around while he <laughs> awkwardly dances on a torn ACL after just a ridiculous victory. Uh, which got kickstarted by like an unreal throw on his one touchdown yes. of the day to Traquan Smith as he was getting hit. It like gave you that that window into maybe what could be. Um, and it's just a reminder maybe that the Saints defense, though, maybe they are one of the only defenses that matter. And I was thinking even as this game, you know, the Bucks were going to put 24-27 up, but they have Tom Brady's number. Like, at this point, I feel like we can say that. They are the one defense, Dennis Allen, that consistently scrambles up Tom Brady. First team ever, or maybe the second team ever, since uh, the Peyton Manning Broncos to beat him three straight times in the regular season. Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I thought Jeff Duncan, their, one of their uh, great beat writers, put out this amazing stat that Brady with the Buccaneers versus everyone else in the regular season throws an interception every 83.9 attempts, which is, you know, uh, relatively very good. But in his in his three games in the regular season versus the Saints, it's been one every 16.2. And that, you know, it's, they put it on him last season. They did it again. They have found a way to track Tom Brady and unseat him at times, and he looked uncomfortable. And it just goes back to me that I think that along with a defense that might really be a difference maker, Greg, I, I think that in Sean Payton, and this is not breaking news, but he is one of those coaches that uh, not only, you know, the way the whole defense operated today I you know they had Trevor Simeon have to come into the game and we've seen a lot of bad from Trevor Simeon and some good and what the Saints did with him I think they, I thought that they didn't change their game plan they threw aggressively I feel like uh, Sean Payton could get NFL editor David Ely to go 15 for 21 for 184 yards and two <laughs> touchdowns if he needed to he's just one of those coaches and it completely changes the way that I feel about the Saints um, because it was Ooh, Dan, got the point. old That's, it completely changes it does, uh, from Mark's it does. Stamp of really approval. even without a quarterback with I, well Taysom no Hill here's the thing I mean Cam obviously Newton? obviously like their <laughs> their fortunes are dimmed big time but I just have total respect for how they're run from top to bottom from Sean Payton on down I mean it's like they are a totally resilient team I thought they were going to be a ham and egger this year and they've not been Things change without the quarterback. For well, sure. that, that's the kind of that's why this is such a bittersweet game because I think 
Could be wrong because Sean Payton's a great coach and there's some really good players on that roster still. I think they're cooked. I think, you know, if you lose Drew Brees to retirement and then you bring in Jameis Winston, and I think we all get kind of robbed, uh, some of us more than others. Uh, sneaky uh, Saints fan Greg Rosenthal, all the real <laughs> Saints fans. I mean, this was, uh, but even just football fans, such a compelling story to track Jameis Winston and his redemption season in this incredible uh, once uh, second opportunity to kind of put a stamp on his career. So if this is the end of his season and who knows where the Saints go once the offseason hits, uh, man, that's really tough. I just don't, I mean, I've seen Trevor Simeon play before. We know basically who Trevor Simeon is. I thought, you know, he was pretty lucky in this game. He had a, a horrendous pick uh, that was wiped away by a, a penalty. And I just think they're going to be very limited uh, with him. Now you have Taysom Hill, obviously, coming back from the concussion maybe as soon as next week. And then you can get into that business if you could talk yourself into this offense, being able to score points with Taysom Hill. I am uh, definitely more on the side of a pessimistic on that. Uh, so that is like the bad side. I don't want to be the, the doomsayer here because they do deserve a lot of credit because I think even the staunchest Saints fans thought this game was lost once Winston went out and once Brady got hot and they wiped out that 16-point second-half deficit. Brady did throw four touchdowns, by the way, so he was doing things in this game. Uh, so to be able to step up on defense and do just enough on offense, really nice moment for the Saints, even if it might, in the big picture, mean the end for them. Right, might be the high point of their season. And, you know, uh, there will be a lot of teams that won't have a point high point like this. Uh, a sure. raucous Halloween where you beat the defending champs who they who they really hate. Um, I, I did think Gronk going out after five plays with another back injury was was significant just for the long term ominous um, health of the of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, all right, before we move on, um, I just want to just the overall thing because Tom Brady is such a uh, larger than life figure. It is. It did cross my mind at one point that um, the Saints fans just going nuts and enjoying beating Tom Brady. Like there's a whole other segment of sports fan or, or NFL fans that are getting this uh, treatment now that he's in the NFC in a different division. Uh, so it's just Brady, yeah. the tales of Brady. It's just, uh, you know, he makes things more fun when he's around Tom Brady, win or lose. Um, all right, let us move on. So there you go. The the Bucks go down, the Saints with a W, but they lose their quarterback. Let's head to another big division matchup, this in the AFC. Randy Bullock, snap. Set. Kick. Yes! That was so good! And the Titans with a treat at Lucas Oil Stadium. <laughs> I've called nearly 500 of these games, Ooh. and I've never seen one like this. Hey, Mike Keith. Sell it. Paint a picture, Mike Keith. WGFX with the call. I like the idea that we're going to get a bunch of these, Mark. A bunch of, like... Halloween references within each final call of big plays. We're two for two so far. How many more? I'm going to set it at four and a half. Do you think we'll get the over on that? I think we'll get the over. I think that um, in general, the play-by-play man as a as an entity cannot shy away from it on any level. Lean so into pro- it. I'm, going, I'm banging the over. Just like Kevin Byard, lean into being a hero. He picked off Carson Wentz in Colts territory in overtime, setting up Randy Bullock, big bone Randy, for a 44-yard field goal. Wild ending to this one at Lucas Oil Stadium, and it ended with a 34-31 win for the Titans over the Colts. And um, 
you know, just like we talked about, Greg, uh, leading into this game, this was a very dangerous game uh, for the Titans. Mark, hats off to you. Get the lock. Uh, but this kind of played out how I thought it was going to play out. A desperate Colts team fighting every inch to to try to stay alive. Uh, how about actually the, take your hat off when you say that? You're wearing but, a hat right now. Take it off when you talk about me dominating don't tell me what the lock competition. You can't tell me what I'm to do. suggesting it. It's not a colloquialism. Actually do what you say. I decline. But maybe at some point I'll take my hat off to you when you're not expecting it. How about that? There it is. Anyway. This is a game, Greg, they got off to a 14-zip lead, the Colts, and then the Titans did their Titans thing. They clawed back and find a way. This was a great game. This, you know, They got to put this on the NFL Network primetime little setup. You got to put it first up in your game pass. You look at the score and you think the defenses didn't play that well, but actually they, they both defenses held the, the opposition, I think, under five yards per play or five and a half yards per play. They both made a couple of big turnovers. The overtime was essentially four straight defensive stops, uh, including the Titans setting up a long field goal to win it, which you know, ran, Big Bone Randy just barely snuck it in there. And we could be questioning Mike Vrabel, you know, getting very conservative at the end, but I don't blame him. It was two defenses that basically were daring the other quarterback to beat them. They were daring Ryan Tannehill to beat him, and he started out with two ugly interceptions uh, in the the first half, but then played well in the second half. And the Titans' defense dared Carson Wentz to beat him, and he he beat the Colts. This was the Carson Wentz game that you were afraid of, Um, not just the ugly interception at the end of the fourth quarter and then the ugly interception in overtime but missed throws which led the led the Titans back into the game just inaccurate throws where where guys were open i couldn't believe how much guilt and weight frank reich put on himself and that the the writers that i've seen uh put on frank reich for the play calling in this game when i'm like his play calling is why they're in this game. Carson Wentz is missing these throws, and uh, it was just kind of a nightmare game and especially a finish for Wentz. I don't like that with Wentz, you know, the the interception that came on a terrible decision to unfurl the ball out of his own end zone was just it, 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 it looked like someone that had, you know, just uh, been introduced to the sport at the position to me. I thought it was just a terrible move. Um, the thing that stuck with me because, you know, I was kind of watching this while other stuff was going on. Uh, Ryan Tannehill really was in a really rough spot early on, made a couple big errors, and they, were, they could not kind of get find their groove. There is this element of toughness to Ryan Tannehill, though. I mean, his teammates were having – he got hit a bunch in this. His teammates were pulling him up off the turf at one point, and he battled and he fought. And I, there is just something about this Titans team that, mistakes aside, they were more resilient. Um, I was wrong about the Colts, though. They are not – I called them, I think, sleepy and boring on our NFL Network show. They were not today, but they are not the class of this division. I mean, they're I done. This, they're, well, they're record. Yeah. I mean, why? I, why? They're, they're game. They're game out of the AFC wild card. They're done in the division. They're done in the division. They're yeah. three I mean, and they five. They can make a wild card, maybe, but they're. Let's yeah, Tennessee has a three-game lead through eight games and the tiebreaker, courtesy of the sweep. So, barring a major injury uh, to one of the principal players of the Titans, they will coast to the AFC South title. That's how big this game was, and that's how that's that's how much it has to just kill Frank Reich, and you know. Carson Wentz, who, you know, maybe it was knowing how much the game meant that led to the two interceptions at the end. That, you know, he's pressing a little bit. I think we have the uh, the audio from the uh, cover, your fan, cover your ears, Colts fans, but we wanted to hear the indie call of that 
left-handed pick six deep in his own end. One of the worst passes you'll ever see, especially given the circumstances. Play action, Wentz. He's in his own end zone, has to throw it away, and he does. It's picked off, and it's picked off by Elijah Molden, and that is a touchdown. That This game cannot end like this. Oh, my God, that, I'm sick to my stomach. This game has been too good for <laughs> too, it to end like that. Absolutely. 126. Come on, guys. 126. <laughs> it's not over. You've disappointed, you disappointed Matt Taylor and Rick Venturi of WFNI and Greg, too. Wentz's credit to the Colts credit they go down the field to get a big PI and score to tie it maybe they should have went for two there <laughs> maybe they should have uh, because yet they were getting so many calls in the second half of this game this game had a lot of luck going in each direction I mean you didn't watch it and think like oh the Titans are a better team they just sort of they made the the play at you know they basically didn't have Carson Wentz on their team but it could not have been more even the Colts got so many lucky calls in this game but the Titans also had this incredibly lucky sequence where Tyquan Lewis picked off Tannehill on a third down play and blows out his knee while running the ball back and fumbles the ball right back to Tennessee at that point uh, I think it was 14 nothing and then AJ Brown had a long touchdown the very next play Uh, it's similar to to when it was 14 nothing, the Colts got aggressive and went for it on fourth down. And I, I really remember that sequence well where Wentz missed a wide-open Hilton streaking down the field t- for a touchdown that would have made it 21 nothing. Then they go for it on fourth, and everyone's killing Reich for going for it. It's like Wentz missed an open throw. And, and that, like, I don't kill him for being aggressive uh, at all. They shut down Derrick Henry. He had 68 yards on 28 touches. Mm. Um Jonathan Taylor had 122 yards and 20 touches. Uh, and you kind of, if you're a Colts fan, start wondering, like, uh, why did we throw the ball 51 times and run it 16 with Jonathan Taylor? Like, they, they, that's what the Titans were asking for, and, and that's what they got. Uh, yes, five turnovers between the two uh, teams. Um, bunch of wild swings. Two touchdowns in the final 86 seconds of regulation. 20 penalties. It wasn't a beauty, but it was a lot of fun to watch. Let's now move on to another big division game. This one uh, in Cleveland with the Steelers looking for some revenge. Fourth and goal at the two. Here's the snap. He's back. He pumps. He fires for the end zone. And it's juggled in the back of the end zone. What do they call? Touchdown, Pittsburgh! Pat Fryermuth, the Penn State rookie, and the Steelers forge ahead. Oh, was that a sweet play. Bill Hillgrove and Craig Wolfley with the call for WDVE. Ben Roethlisberger, he knows how to get it done against the Browns, who had the advantage of the Steelers losing their place kicker, which caused all sorts of issues for the Steelers and led to them do, to do things like going for it in that instance, and it led to the Pat Fryermuth touchdown that put the Steelers ahead. They stayed ahead, getting some stops on defense. 15-10 the final. Uh, Steelers over Browns. And, uh, Mark, nothing's going to wipe away the playoff glory of last January and that great win for Cleveland over Pittsburgh. But what happened here today is too familiar a script over the past 20 years. I think it wipes it away. It wipes it away for me because, like, that was meant to be the start of something where there's continuity. And the Browns um, proved today that they really, you know, they kept talking about it as big brother, little brother, and it's a totally fair comparison. Um, 
it's they are the little brother and and like the credit goes to Pittsburgh because I think this began. Um, it's a, it was a culture win. Um, Nick Shook mentioned that in his write up, and I I really agree with that. The Cleveland's still figuring out their culture, but I think Mike Tomlin set the tone early this week with a furious press conference where he basically blew up any concept of him going to USC, but also talked about the Browns and this game in a way that I think set a tone for Pittsburgh. And, you know, it's like everyone wanted to wonder, can Pittsburgh's offensive line do this or that? Their offensive line, I thought, helped them win this game. Cleveland made key mistakes, which if you track Cleveland's games, they have they have issues with penalties. They have issues with key mistakes. It came from Jarvis Landry today with a terrible fumble caused by former Brown Joe Schobert. Uh, OBJ, who is just lost in this offense, had one catch for six yards. And you're, you nailed it with Chris Boswell going out early on a fake field goal pass attempt that went totally awry, knocked Concussed. him out of the game. And it, I think Pittsburgh showed we can rally around anything that happens to us, not only in the microcosm of this game, but in the macrocosm of this season where they came in with weaknesses and you see them getting a little bit better each week and they, they're figuring out how to win. And they were the better team today, no questions about it. Um, I think it leaves the Browns in a really rough spot. And I, I you know, look at, um, I understand that someone like Miles Garrett, A, who has 10 and a half sacks and leads the league in sacks, um, likes to have fun with putting gravestones in his yard and walking into the stadium <laughs> with a cape about every quarterback he's sacked. But that's not what it's about. They're four and four, and they couldn't get it done. And you know, this is not a Baker Mayfield lost the game type of game, but it was a total team melt where guys like Nick Chubb um, didn't do what he normally does. They got away from who they were. They've done that in a couple of their losses. And I, you know, talk. If I had a hat on, I'd take my hat off to the Pittsburgh Steelers because I think they basically nullified and and largely erased what happened last January by telling Cleveland you're still not us. Oh man, I mean I t- I still I know it hurts today and it stinks but this is a 4 and oh, 4. I'm, it's a 4 I and 4 team. Irritated. Take that playoff win and run. I mean that that is a memory that you know that that's something that you I know what Mark's saying though. Life. What Mark's not saying the, is that what past. happened in January was supposed to be the springboard to the start of a whole newer era, not just for the Browns, but in this rivalry. So to be right back where we are now, that is annoying. It is. Yeah. It also I mean, like comes down sometimes to, you know, it's more than one play, but the way that the Steelers' offense is, if, you know, Fryermuth made a unreal catch on that fourth down. You know, the Browns might win that game if, if Fryermuth, this, this rookie, Made a couple of big catches like that in that first preseason game. I remember. <laughs> yeah, I think that was, was that the Hall of Fame game. I don't even remember. And here he is showing up. Like hasn't been huge this year. But if he doesn't make that catch, I don't know if the Steelers go score another touchdown in this game. This was a defensive game. I, did you? I, there was you. some. There was some Mike Tomlin sound. Um, Mark, did oh, you yeah, want to like, tee that up? Yeah, let's let's throw that on there. Let's tee it. <laughs> hey, nice any ball. of you guys well know done. Ben? That unchanged his mentality. He plays like we got no kicker anyway. <laughs> um, he's an Ohio boy, man. He's trying to win when he comes home. Oh, that was awesome. Um, See, 
like I would just say one thing. I, I yeah. really I like that comment. The reason I wanted to, to play that was because he basically said, you know, he said Big Ben plays like we don't have a kicker all the time. And this isn't the old Big Ben, but um, it felt like the old Brown Steelers games to me in, in many ways. And back in the past, before we did this, I would go after a game like this and watch like three movies back to back to back in like a discount movie theater, you know, and start to think that there are still great books to read. There are still things to do. There are still luscious people out on the street. But um, I had to forge on and watch like a Washington mm. football team game in the middle of this. I was in a hot, irritated mood in my garage. I don't want to feel this way again. They unplugged me. I'm not doing this again. You know, nobody, go, nobody's going to ever camper next door. You see what's going on. Yeah, there. Exactly. I'm going to go Knock right the over door. there after this. Um, nobody's ever going to feel sorry for us because we're very lucky to do what we do for a living. Uh, but I will say this like, and Mark, you are just like me, uh, super passionate about our team and it kind of sticks with you more than you know you're a typical sports fan uh, just put it that way and when we have a particularly bad loss for our teams like for me last week with the Patriots Jets game with this game when you, you have to stay locked in the NFL world for another nine hours and talk about it on a podcast that people listen to that is that's the hardest that is the hardest part of an otherwise amazing job mm. yeah like I like I tweeted something that I really felt um, in the middle of this nonsense. And also at one point I did predict correctly that Jim Nance and Tony Romo would be highly <laughs> annoying. Um, Jim Nance had his little Halloween, like, is this going to be a trick or a treat for Pittsburgh on a play where they're going like 45 yards to the end zone? I mean, but I basically said female assassin, don't walk, run. Because this, this basically, again, I'm not getting involved with this team for a long time, I'm, can, I'm out. They I can just imagine me. Mark doing a trick or treat tonight with the kids. Just, like, just take the almond joy. Just take it. Just take it right <laughs> I now. Tried to, I, I think tried I saw, to work out of my mood by I then. Saw a cra- I don't know if it's true or if I misread it because it popped up real quick, quick on my tweet deck, but I think the Browns are 0-6 on Romo Nance games. I, I it, told you. Like, yeah. they, it, is, it, is, they are, it, it, it boils down to this. They try to shove the Browns into the big moment. And outside of that playoff game, they are not ready for the big moment. you got to go back and figure out who you are. Right now, you are floating. I, I think these two teams, just quickly, are similar, though, which is that the AFC is a morass right now. This, this like lower wild card group is just a big jumble, and they all got a shot, and probably none of them are real Super Bowl contenders, and they're both in that mix. You know, The Steelers are now in that mix. You can't say that they're morass. They're is a great way to describe it. So great that an insane person like me thinks about my Jets team. And I'm like, hey, if we could beat the Colts on Thursday, three <laughs> yeah, and five. Sure. It's not okay. crazy. Sure. It's sloppy if, down if there at the bottom. You get some Mike White magic. Uh, look, they, see how quickly they wrote me back in. All right, Mark, I'm sorry that this game turned out the way it did, but hopefully brighter days ahead. Uh, let's toss to a break and then get to that Jets classic. Takes the snap, drops back, looks right, looks left, fires in the back of the end zone, open is Croft, he's got it, that's a jet touchdown, Tyler Croft all alone, Mike White finds him for the go-ahead score with 3.45 to go, unbelievable! (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, Ricky, give me the bongos! I'm back, I'm back, I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. I wish I could quit you, New York Jets. Bob Washusen with the call for WEPN. He's a great play-by-play guy. We don't get to hear a lot from him on the show. Uh, Mike White. Mike White threw for 405 yards and three touchdowns 
and caught a two-point conversion pass on a Philly special, Marky. Uh, the go-ahead score and two-point conversion. And the Jets come back from two scores down late in the fourth quarter to, to beat the Bengals 34-31 to at the Meadowlands. Uh, another building was going off. And I'll tell you why that building was going nuts uh, at MetLife Stadium today. It has been, and I was talking to Keith Hansis about this uh, after the game, that it was it was the rare, such a special win uh, and memorable one that you got a call, Dad. It's not just, it's not a text one, it's a call. And if you, aside from the 2015 Ryan Fitzpatrick 10-6 and six season that didn't even produce a playoff bid, uh, that was the last time anything like remotely special happened. Um, with the Jets, a game that was truly memorable. I know there were little flickers of hope in the Sam Darnold era, but nothing truly memorable for anyone outside of uh, Jets fans. This is a straight up like great, like classic Jets win. And it's been so long since it's happened. And the fact that it was Mike White, a guy that's just a complete unknown, a former fifth round pick out of a non big time school bounced around was with the Cowboys. Didn't make that team lands with the Jets. And for him to just kind of be fearless uh, in this game uh, was really something special to watch. Mark, you grabbed this game uh, in the draft because I was on a break, uh, and that break lasted as long as the first Jets drive when they scored their first touchdown of the season (laughs) in the first quarter. And I said, okay, they look like they actually showed up to play a football game, and that's exactly how it played out, and they got a win as a result. Yeah, and I, I had this, you know, late in the fourth quarter, I had a text um, that I was going to send to Dan that said, why don't, you know, I'm sp- I am covered this and I'll, I'm happy to chime in, but this is, a, this is something great is happening here. Do you want to maybe have your thoughts out there, obviously? Um, and then I was like, wait, when do I send this? Because I waited <laughs> till it was completely over because it was such a bizarre game. But I, I thought that it had a special feel to it early on. By the way, it's supposed to be fun watching your team um, play a sport at least once in a while, and the Jets fans have made that real tough. But Mike White was kind of like, I don't care about the history of the Jets. I don't care that no one in Jets history has thrown for 400 yards in 327 games since Vinny Testaverde did it before the Y2K scare. It's like, let's make this thing enjoyable for Jets fans. He starts 11 for 11. At one point, he hit another nine in a row. He went totally off, and it, they pan over to Joe Flacco on the sideline. It's like, why did you sign that guy? Mike White is going to start on Thursday night, number one. He should. I like the idea that Mike LaFleur is up in the booth. They kept, they kind of said that they thought that made a difference in this game, that he was just where an OC should be, where, you know, I totally get it that when Zach Wilson, a rookie quarterback, is there, he's down on the sideline with him and stuff. But it just seemed like the offense found a little bit of a comfort zone. I also thought real quick that – an early goal line stuff by the Jets after a Jesse Bates interception where this thing could have gone totally off the rails basically showed me that this Jets team is still playing really hard for Robert Sala. Um, The defense, I thought, showed some spice. They made plays down the stretch. Burrow had a killer interception late. By the way, that's his fifth, fourth quarter pick this year. It leads the NFL. He's been awesome, but it has been an issue for him. And, you know, the Bengals could have won this in a variety of ways, too, but the Jets refused to stop fighting. And it, it, look at, they've beaten the Titans. They've beaten the Bengals. So when you talk about them as on the fringe of the playoff race, it's not because they knocked out two total, uh, you know, 
ghost ham and eggers. Like they are not, they are something about them can be a little spicy. You'd like it to have been with Zach Wilson. It was with Mike White. Take it. How about Sal after the game? They asked him, you know, is uh, what's going on with Mike White going forward? Does he have a chance here to to run with this? And of course, this is not this is Zach Wilson's team. But Salah at least said, "Hey, you never know. Well, you know he's gonna, of course, play on Thursday." He said anything can happen. Anything could, can happen. Said, could Mike White be the franchise quarterback? He's like anything can happen. Yeah, I like, I like that, that answer. That's Even if it's answer. not gonna, you know, be the the case most likely, and maybe Mike White comes down to earth, Greg, uh, as soon as uh, three days from now. Uh, but you can't take away this game from him or the Jets or the fans. This is the most first downs they've had, the Jets, in a game since 1986, I saw. I mean, this was completely out of this world. And what does it say about Cincinnati, Greg? I mean, it, it says um, that Spice Rack had a beat on them being like, oh, they're going to lose this game. I was like, what? Yeah, I was like, you mean cover? I was like, no. He's like, I think they're going to lose. I think they're going to lose straight up. They can't handle like a situation like this. That That's shocking to me, but it's shocking the way it happened that they give up over 500 yards. 32 first downs the Jets have. You know, they, the Jets lost the turnover battle by two, and they won the game which is, you know, extremely rare in the NFL and usually only happens if you're like a vastly superior uh, operation. It's wild. Flacco's so pissed right now. That's all I could think about it because in his <laughs> quotes on Friday, he was like, oh, I came here to play. And I was like, well, you should have come here on Wednesday then or, you know, right after you got traded because you would have played, I think, this week if he had showed up. But uh, they really um, got some good fortune to have Mike White play because we don't, we don't need to see Joe Flacco on Thursday night, that's for sure. We will not. And yeah, like I said, MetLife Stadium was jumping and they were chanting Mike White, Mike White, Mike White. You know what? I, the, the football gods, I feel like a bone was thrown to me and many other Jets fans. Don't give up hope. Uh, you could still have fun watching your team. And I had a lot of fun watching mm. the Jets. Bad, bad loss, though, Bengals, because it's one thing. I mean, any loss to the Jets is bad. But uh, what, what did they have a 10 point lead in the fourth quarter at some point? They were in total wow. control of this game, wow. and it just, they let it slip away. Uh, all right. Now, the team that destroyed the Jets last week, uh, they were on the road here in Los Angeles, and uh, they continued to look like a playoff team. Shotgun snap to Herbert. Rares back. Fires right. Passes intercepted by Phillips. Rises from the turf. Runs left side. 10-5. Pick six. His second interception of the day. And it's a touchdown for the Patriots. I like this. We're just rolling through all, all our teams in a row. Um, Bob Sochi uh, with Zolak grunting like a, shit, a sentient Gatorade bottle in the background. WBZ. <laughs> Safety Adrian Phillips intercepted two passes against his former team, returned one of them for the go-ahead touchdown as the Patriots rally to a 27-24 win over the Chargers. You know, I felt so good about the Jets. It didn't even bother me that the Patriots ended my lock streak uh, by beating up on the Chargers team that might not be actually that good. Anyway, Greg, it's become the go-to cliche. That's fine. Can't hurt me. It's become the go-to cliche of the post-Brady Patriots whenever they have a nice win. Hey, that was a vintage Patriots-style <laughs> win for Belichick. Uh, but this kind of was. It was because you know they got contributions from all three phases. Their quarterback didn't play well. That's not too vintage. I thought this was what Mono Mac yeah. Jones' worst games. My, my biggest... A- takeaway was that they had 75 plays to 48 uh for the chargers before the chargers went on uh, a 10 play kind of garbage time 
drive. I guess it's the defense. They cooked up Justin Herbert pretty good. After a couple early touchdowns by the Chargers, they had four three and outs forced and a four and out and two interceptions uh, in their neck, like seven out of the next eight drives. But I, it wasn't like a game I looked at where I felt that much different about the Patriots. The two interceptions that they had were both uh, either drops or miscommunications by the Chargers. Kind of felt like a lucky bounce game relatively. Not to get like, not to put too much damper on it, but just like they look like the same fine team that they've been. It's, Duke, Greg, like yeah. I'd ask you real quick, because if you look at, I, I think we all think that obviously Justin Herbert is like already a star and all those things. But last two games, he's 54% completion percentage, three touchdowns, three picks. I mean, he obviously had troubles against Baltimore today, you know, not a pristine effort. Like, does, does it concern you at all that people are just getting more tape on him? Or is it just like, not at all, just keep rolling. He's going to be... No, a little uh, bit. Just, you know, ship him to Canton. A little bit with how they're, you know, defending him. A lot of, like, changing the snaps post-look. A lot of blitzing. Uh, the offensive line did not handle, like, the pressure that they sent. They got after Herbert pretty good. But like I said, the two interceptions, one was a drop by Eckler, and the other one was, like, the classic Jared Cook play of all Cook plays. Like, you know, I, I have, like, a text thread of just, like, another friend who like finds it funny that cook just like always ruins the teams he's on a couple games a year. And like, there was a game where he had a penalty where he took away the game winning touchdown for the chargers earlier. And this was one where he just didn't turn around and pretty sure it was on him. And that was the pick six, not, not to take away what the Patriots did well in this game because Mac Jones hit a couple throws deep. He really struggled in the first half and got it together in the second half, which was nice to see because he was eight for 22 uh, at halftime in this game. And they ran the ball. They settled on an offense of line like they are a physical team they know what they want to be and they're four and four and when they get the right game plan defensively like they can make problems they got carolina next like that's a chance to go to five and four we we talked about you know the idea of belichick um you know beginning to trust mac jones more you saw things earlier in the season and how they they game planned and how they handled certain down and distance situations uh, when it was very clear that he was a rookie quarterback that they had on a tight leash. And this game was interesting to me because I feel like uh, they were throwing more than they should, especially early in the game. And Mac Jones just didn't have it. I think that's why I was kind of impressed by the Patriots to be able to go on the road, even though it was like 40,000 Patriots fans at SoFi Stadium, including Ricky Hollywood, uh, to get a kind of relatively bad game from your quarterback and still find a way to win, I, that's impressive to me. And I think in an AFC, I still think it's the Bills division, um, even though I don't think they're without any concerns right now either. But I think this they're going to win that division. Uh, but I think the Patriots are absolutely a team that needs to be seriously viewed as a wild card contender. And on the Chargers side of things, you know, in in four of their seven games, they have 20 points, 17 points, six points. They had 24 in this game, but it was really 17. That was a garbage time, kind of a miracle catch at the end. So it has been a little hot and cold of this offense. And, of course, they the right. game before this two-game skid, they put up 47 against the Browns and looked invincible. But there's some inconsistencies here that if you're a Chargers fan, it's on your radar at this point. 
uh, the offense specifically. It took Herbert making some great plays against pressure to get those touchdowns early too. Like there was not much in the flow of the offense. You're you're right. I it I thought the Patriots would wind up blowing this because when it was fourteen thirteen or seventeen sixteen Chargers, it was like the Patriots felt like they should have been up by twenty. They had a first and goal at the two or at the four and then um you know third and goal at the two couldn't get that in kept throwing the ball like you mentioned had another time inside the 10 where they settled for a field goal and then fumbled the ball on the way into a potential other touchdown it like felt like they should have been steamrolling and yet the chargers like could not muster anything i am curious ricky you you were at the game you are uh i don't see you here but uh what was uh what was that experience like there it sounded like a like a patriots crowd it was a Patriots crowd for sure. The stadium wasn't even sold out. And I mean, granted, mm. it's such a big stadium, but I have a feeling that if it was a Rams game, it it would have been. They sell out every um, game, yeah. Yeah. I mean, everyone, first of all, everyone talks about how like amazing that stadium is and you you don't realize it until you're in it. Like it is mm. absolutely unreal with that that screen that they talk about. I mean, there's not a bad seat in the house. So I was just so blown away by even being in it. Um, and it felt like a Pat's home game. I was super excited to see Justin Herbert. And like you just sort of said, I was like, this kid is like the real deal. And it just kind of felt like they they couldn't get it going, which was great for me. I had a ball. Yeah. I had the best day ever. <laughs> he, he's no. missed a lot of throws lately. He's missed makeable throw. Even though the two picks weren't on him in this game, right. he did not. I don't think he played well in this game. Um, I don't think it was nice of Jet um, to keep calling Mac Jones Fat Jones and that he was blowing the Patriots game. And that just yeah, that's feels not very like nice. Feel did she text you that? Because she that was saying bad. that. That's in a little the, cruel. In the you seat. you were texting yeah. you texted me that, but you were probably drunk at the time. You've you know since then yeah, I don't remember. That. Wait, Ricky, like, hours. what did you purchase at the concession stand? Like, was there any notable sort of SoFi? <laughs> well, she has food bosses item listening that you, that you potentially. That you yeah, no, I just got bottled water, Mark. Yeah. Um, but and bottled this is, water. Okay. And this and it, it oh, probably was like the glory days of when Ricky was a teenager watching the fourth quarter because as someone who had a front row seat to this uh, hokum for years, they get the big play on defense, the pick six to to go ahead, and then really they go on the fourteen play, fifty four yard, seven minute field goal drive that ends the game, and they do over and over just oh we're staying in bounds, we're making the right decision. That was that was the, that was the drive that made me feel good. That was like a lot of a lot of running, a lot of Patriots. That was yeah, that was, that was very good. on brand. So anyway, if you're a Pats fan, you're feeling good. The glory days are gone. They're not coming back because Tom's not here. But you have a team I think that's going to be relevant in December. And uh, if you're a Chargers fan. Hmm. It's okay. I mean, I want okay. a Judon jersey. I'm just putting that out there. Yeah. You have a what? Judon jersey? I want a Judon. I'm, I'm gonna. I might go Barmore. Man, I love me some Christian Barmore. Now they're, Greg they're is rookie, Patriots. They're now rookie Greg defensive the Patriots tackle. Again. See how this works. No, I'm just saying that he is the he is the best interior defensive player they have drafted since I don't know at least a decade. I can't think of it. They haven't had anyone. He's he's good. He's good. I, Ricky. I need you to go um like the full red sleeves underneath the Judon yes. jersey if you go down that road. <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right, definitely. let's now uh, move on another uh, division matchup in the NFC: Panthers Falcons. Somebody had a win. We can go shopping after we go to Brooks Brothers, Mark. <laughs> Feel That'll be fine. Gilmore and Jackson, the corners. Matt Ryan in the shotgun with Davis to his left. 
As for the snap, he's got it. Davis stays in to block. Ryan hit it. He throws intercepted over the middle. Gilmore at the 15-yard line. Ah, old friend of the New England Patriots, Stephon Gilmore. Makes the big play. The Panthers, and that's Mick Mixon of WBT. The Panthers Panthers leaned on their defense to snap a nasty losing streak. Shaq Thompson was a star in his return to the lineup. And yes, Steph Gilmore had the game-sealing interception in his Carolina debut. A 19-13 win over the Falcons. This was a... I mean, I wouldn't say that I enjoyed this game, and this game was happening at the same time as the Jets were playing their first like uh, fun game in about you know thirty-seven years. Uh, so, uh, was I enthralled by what was going on in Atlanta? No, but I was tracking it, and I will give <laughs> Carolina credit here for getting off the mat here. And like I said, it's because they're D, because Sam Darnold he goes out with a concussion in this game, but they're not really moving the ball. Uh, much at all, at least through the air. Uh, they le- lean on their run g- ground that went over run game that went over 200 yards, uh, led by Chuba Hubbard, who overcame an early fumble and finished with 82 yards and a touchdown. Darnold had 66 yards himself, but yes, it was the defense that shut down the Falcons. I mean, this was Matt Ryan's uh, one of the worst games I've seen from Matt Ryan ever. 146 yards passing. He was sacked three times. He got his hand stepped on and it was gushing blood at one point. Super gross and Halloween-y. And the Falcons finished, finished, Mark, with 213 yards of total offense. Oof. So Carolina's D steps up and gets it done. You know, I wonder, like, it, with Atlanta, limited, because you've got Calvin Ridley out, and he, you know, he's tweeted about the fact that he's dealing with um, you know, working on some mental health stuff. He's, he's been unavailable and they don't know when he's going to come back. That obviously helped um, put an extra guy on Kyle Pitts, like his torrid pace slowed down a little bit. And when you mentioned like Carolina is just going to need to win with their defense and, you know, it, like Shaq Thompson coming back, just the way he's been playing. I look at some of their, they, you know, they were coming off a four game losing streak. They lost to the Eagles, um, a pretty junky team by three points they they got nipped by the Vikings at the end. I just wonder if their fortunes would be a little bit different if he had been available because he wasn't in in those hmm. games. Um, but yeah, I think you are what you are with the, with the Panthers at this point because when Dar- before Darnold left with was it a concussion? Like he, you know he didn't have a, the the ugly turnovers, but you're still getting the Darnold experience with the endless wide receiver drops. They're not helping him at all. Yeah, he 129 so all this, like, yards with and 24 throws. They they yeah. ran the ball 47 times and threw it 25. You don't Which see, I think Rule basically said that's what we're going to do. It was a close game. Do, you know? you know, it wasn't Rule, like it was a blowout. Yeah. Rule said after the game, this is what I should have done last week. So you knew he's <laughs> desperate to get away from Sam Darnold. And, uh, you know, uh, so that's just that where they are now. against the Falcons. And if you have that defense. And if you have Zane Gonzalez hitting 50-yard bombs over right. and over. It was kind of a kicker game. Ku missed a, a short one. Yeah. And, you know, Christian McCaffrey, I believe, is eligible to come off uh, the injured reserve next week. So if if he's back, you know, with Stephon Gilmore now on this defense, with Shaq Thompson back from the foot injury and playing well, you can, again, start to look at Carolina as a team that maybe has a run in them and and, and can go for a playoff spot. But uh, that's where I stand on them. I don't – they don't wow me. They don't excite me. Uh, and Darnold keeps a ceiling on this thing. But hopefully he's okay and they uh, get back on track here. Atlanta, I mean, we. I think you set it up, Mark, on our TV show on, on Saturday that Atlanta was sexy now and all this stuff. I told you I didn't buy it, and when well, you watch well, this I said, game... I said Arthur name, Arthur Smith, 
I um, know, but you and Rosenthal were getting all game. hot, hot about. I'm the saying Falcons they they were becoming like, fun to watch, which is all I'm right. asking for. But this uh, but is who they are. Apparently, you, not when they play the Panthers. I mean, or when Calvin fine. Ridley's not in there too. The, but I know, yeah. but Ridley's yeah, but they've been, been fine without Ridley. Year. He hasn't done anything all year. For I'm the, just trying to build a case, Greg, for you as well. Because my point, we were both my on point that being, ship, so. the Falcons are one of those teams. Like, all right, is if you don't have if you cook up a good game plan against Matt Ryan at this stage, it can get really ugly and things get slowed down and they become very hard to watch. So that's where we were again with Atlanta. It was more like the beginning of the year. So I think we'll I just see. froze up because the TV lights were on me. It was too big of a stage, and I started <laughs> to say crazy things. Anyway, Carolina back on track. We'll see if Darnold will be ready, and Christian McCaffrey as well when they play again. All right, in other realms, let's head to Soldier Field where the Niners are trying to get off a losing schneid. Shine. Soon shine. <laughs> First and goal to go Riley on the five-yard line. 49ers late 23. Nothing 22. is shine. It's shine. pull it and run. Jimmy Garoppolo's got his second touchdown of the game. Touchdown! <laughs> oh! San Francisco. <laughs> there you go. See, you know, I know Greg Papa and Tim Ryan for KNBR. It has been a lot of fun watching the Niners for large swaths of this season. So when they get hot like they did... On Sunday at Soldier Field, uh, you can enjoy it. Jimmy Garoppolo threw for 322, ran for two touchdowns. The Niners beat a Bears team missing their coach, Matt Nagy, and other players, including Khalil Mack. 33-22. That ends a four-game losing streak for the Niners. And San Francisco just got scorching hot on offense. This is what we had been waiting for that was expected of San Francisco. I believe they scored um, five straight times. In the second half, Garoppolo led three touchdown drives in the second half. Another possession ended with a field goal. And uh, when he scored on that run um, in the fourth quarter to put San Francisco ahead 30-22, he fired the ball up in the stands, and you could tell a weight had been lifted off him because everybody knew the pressure was really on at this point. And Kyle Shanahan even said as much, Mark, uh, after the game. Uh, Shanahan said, coming back home, this is uh, Garoppolo's from Illinois, his back against the wall um, for him to step up and play the way he did today was huge. So with Trey Lance maybe waiting in the wings, Garoppolo definitely bought himself some more time in the starting lineup. Well, and maybe limited um, the idea that a Trey Lance package today, like near in the red zone, running um, could become bigger and you know it's something to just become a larger part of the offense until he just inevitably starts and he will but it there's something still a little depressing about it because we already understand that Jimmy G is you know he's fading he's on the way out and it's sort of it's it's nice to see him play well and they needed it they needed this um, it still just delays the the inevitable yeah but I mean see when you watch this game you'll see there's it was huge because it wasn't like the you know a mirage. It felt like okay, maybe this is because remember Garoppolo. He's always been kind of hot and cold since that initial run with San Francisco. But he could get in these grooves in the Shanahan era where he would look really good and be moving the offense. And it kind of reminded me a little hmm. bit of that. So let's see. Maybe this is something they build on. Maybe he's healthier now, and he, you know he wasn't. He's playing in the rain last week with the bad calf. Maybe he gets on some type of run here. I thought it was extremely. Um, uh, big in a again a wide open playoff race he's probably one bad start away from getting benched because right. ian rapaport gave him the the kiss of death sunday morning <laughs> uh news bomb that's like trey lance's time may be coming which is like 
he's getting benched today if he struggles the first three quarters. Uh, you know, he did get, you know, an 80-yard touchdown on like a swing pass to Debo Samuel where Debo does all the work. Uh, and Samuel is now just putting together a season that's relatively under the radar considering he, he has more yards in his first, um, what is it, seven games than Jerry Rice ever had uh, and is just at an outrageous pace right now. Like he, he is a top three receiver in, in terms of production and is just a beast. If they can just get Kittle back then, you know, they average over eight yards per play. I know Khalil Mack wasn't there, but that's impressive against any NFL defense, especially a decent one like the it Bears. It does sound like it was Justin Fields' um finest performance i mean you know doing kind of everything you'd want justin fields to do you saw elements of it is that true yeah there was a he ran for 100 yards in this game he had some uh, nice plays as a passer as well and of course everybody going nuts on twitter because matt Nagy he's got the covid uh so he wasn't around to be involved <laughs> with what was the best start of justin fields pro career to this point so you're kind of yeah. damned if you do either way Nagy, because this he yeah he's hell on his win-loss record uh, exactly yeah. exactly <laughs> but there was a there was the first kind of eye-opening uh okay here we are this could be something uh moment uh and it got them to it should have tied the game but there was a missed extra point uh, but it was a fourth and one and uh, kind of a botched uh, play execution initially. And then Fields, with his athleticism, was able to dodge some tacklers, reverse field, and not only convert the uh, fourth down on a busted play, but get in the end zone. And it was just like, whoa, OK, this guy, this is why he's special, why he's highly touted, why he was a first round pick. So hopefully there's something to build off there. Uh, for the Bears and hopefully Matt Nagy, wherever he was on Sunday, saw the things that worked and saw what didn't didn't work and maybe learn from it and isn't too hard headed about things. <laughs> although I think he's kind of a hard headed dude, so we'll see mm. what happens whenever Nagy resurfaces. Now he's like Kingsbury; he was already working on the next opponent. I was going to add, he's, he's very competitive. I think, and he and we <laughs> well, we've we had one little run in. I'm not going to get into details where he seemed a little peeved. Matt Nagy, that another head coach was in the room and just like that guy over there thinks he's so great. It's like, whoa, these guys are, you know, they're um, they're temperamental. But do you think that he actually was doing the Kingsbury thing or was he watching the game? Like I would just watch the game. But I think you revealed a little too much of that story. But I, I also we could keep it right there and let people, you know, put a pin in it. I've never I don't even that's that's a, oh, just do that. It's up. You know, Nagy can we'll see if he brings it up when he's. You know, working at NFL Network. Oh, that sounded mean. That's oh, crazy. my goodness. All right. Let's head back to the AFC East uh, where the Dolphins and Bills did battle. Allen takes. Going to throw it down the middle. Caught by Diggs at the five. Cruises into the end zone. Touchdown, Buffalo. Stephon Diggs. A 19-yard strike from Josh Allen. Touchdown, Bills. Having an annoying fantasy season, and I got Stephon Diggs, and he's driving me crazy with all these... Good, he scored today, but 40 yards every game. What are we doing? He's supposed to have 119 <laughs> catches for 1,500 yards and 37 touchdowns for me. That's why I drafted him. He'll save it. I think it's coming. I think the explosion's coming. John Murphy with the call WGR. Josh Allen led the Bills on scoring drives in each of uh, the Bills' final, I believe, five possessions. Uh, a late flurry of scoring that was more than enough against the feckless Dolphins. Final score, Bills 26 Fish, 11. Buffalo stays ahead in the AFC East. The Dolphins are on a seven-game losing streak, all alone now in the cellar in the division. Greg, Buffalo took a while to get going here, uh, but they took care of business. I thought it showed maturity from Josh Allen. You know, he keeps checking these boxes as he gets older. 
he, they had five first downs in their first five drives. They were dominated. I mean, Miami was handing it to them. Uh, he was so frustrated but after the first drive of the second half because they just couldn't believe it. Miami should have had a lead at that point. It was still 3-3. Miami blew some chances. And then he kind of started taking what the defense would give him, whether it was his legs, making good decisions on third and long. Beasley, Cole Beasley had a great week. He, he deleted his Twitter. Smart. Uh, and then uh, he converted a third and 14, <laughs> third and 13. You get the jab? A, a third and 11. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think he got the jab. I think that's why he deleted his Twitter. He was get sick of hearing about Sick of about, hearing about. He goes over 100 yards, and it's like just every big play when you thought Miami could – get a stop they just don't have a pass rush uh without blitzing Jalen Phillips a first round pick hasn't done much and then when they do blitz Allen was figuring it out in the second half and I just thought it you know as bad as it was for the first five drives or so for him to kind of solve it and then go touchdown touchdown field goal touchdown to end is pretty awesome I view um Greg and Cole Beasley is sort of ideological twins. So, you know, I thought that it, it body it, type it was, too, it was a know. nice day for him. Yeah, similar body types, no doubt. Hair. That's wish. all I'm offering. What was it? Was there a setup there, Mark? Or was that? No, that's all I'm oh. offering. I mean, I like, I, I, you know what? The Dolphins, I'm a little, I'm there. They're another team that depresses me right now. And the Bills, like, you know, have thumped this Dolphins team so hard that, People were like, oh, well, is it going to be – it's not a good, great game because it's not 35 to nothing. It's like I, I respect Buffalo working themselves out of the fix they were in early. I, they, they were they – were Yeah, of, this felt different. It felt like a game even in the fourth quarter. You didn't know how it would go, and, but, but yeah. Buffalo came through. And we get, you know, we're going to get to the Texans a little bit later, but since the Dolphins are connected directly to everything Deshaun Watson related, the report came out uh, on Sunday morning that now the belief is that Deshaun Watson won't be changing teams – uh, ahead of the trade deadline on Tuesday. So just file that away with Tua, who will get most likely what he absolutely deserves and what the Dolphins should want, which is a full season audition. And they're, they're going nowhere. They're one and seven now. So at least turn the season now over to a full developmental look at your young quarterback so you could decide what you want to do next, even if that means bringing in a highly problematic uh, passer currently wasting away in Houston. Um, mm. All right. Buffalo in control of the division. The Pats getting better, though. So a little heat there. Uh, let's take a break and then uh, hit the rest of the games. Hurts gives Boston Scott. Pushes, shoves into the end zone. Boston Scott. Boston Scott is so powerful. <laughs> all right. Mel Reese with the call. Nikki Shook joining us now. Technical difficulties took the man out, but the pipe always finds a way to bash his way back in. <clears throat> Boston Scott and Jordan Howard each scored two touchdowns on the ground in place of Miles Sanders. Uh, and uh, the Philadelphia Eagles dominated the Lions in a 44 6 win on Sunday. Shooky, uh, we talked about it on the around the NFL broadcast. The boys and I, uh, how it was a little weird. Everyone was getting excited about this is the game the Lions are going to win. They did not even compete. What happened here? Yeah, I actually picked the Lions to win. That was a big failure on my part. You weren't I alone. I wasn't alone. I was not alone in not that alone. regard. Uh, they they didn't really show up. Um, you know, we've looked at this roster all year and seen that you know it's pretty talent poor. They lack weapons offensively. They 
they lack a lot of you know blue chip level players across the roster and it totally showed today i mean not only did they not show up they had nothing in in the tank to really mount much of a comeback effort i mean before you know at halftime at 17 nothing and it felt like it was 35 nothing the eagles dominated up front they won the battle of the trenches a week after letting Kenyon drake uh run down their throats for a touchdown against the raiders and and kind of being the lions in that game and getting you know uh, falling way behind and, and never having a chance of coming back uh they then became the team that was the aggressor and, and just dominated at the point of attack on both sides of the ball they sacked jared goff five times it got to the point in the third quarter i was like Man, if, if there was an opportunity to, to simulate to the end or to forfeit the remainder of this game, this is the game for this to happen. Let's get a running clock or something going. It was that lopsided. It was the worst showing of the Lions Mark, in the Dan gotta, Campbell era. We got to pitch the, that, Mark, to the competition committee. We've had that clock. cooking for a couple of years. Oh, yeah. no, we've had, we, want, we have games for just like a 10-minute runoff at the yeah. end when they're just this, this uh, unfun to watch now. And again, you couch it, Shooky, as player safety. That's what it's really about. Yeah, but what yeah. it's really about is – uh, jabronis like us being able to move on to the next game yeah exactly pretty much i mean in, in a nutshell it was it was an unexciting affair it was inspiring mm. for the eagles because they didn't have miles sanders and they ran the ball really well um and, and you didn't need too much from jalen hurts and he's fun to watch no matter what so uh you know a nice little bounce back win for them and i think a low point for these lines i mean the lines have been competitive in the majority of the games they've played today was not one of them that's mm-hmm. simple and yeah, it's it, like a it, week ago they were you know tortured by Matthew Stafford. Darius Slay had a, what, a fumble touchdown in this. Um, I, it was a bit of a narrative killer for the Eagles after, you know, we, we were going to run the ball less than any team in NFL history. They had like 236 yards. And it was a narrative killer uh, for the listeners who locked the Lions. Let's get your act together on, <laughs> no. on these fronts. Like, let's what? think about what we're doing. This, that's a collective group. Doing, it wasn't guys? one single drunk person making a terrible just, you know, life decision. Wow. There's a group of people that agreed on the Lions, please. We all, I, mean, I, it, I think we got sucked into, and I didn't pick the Lions, but I see why it happened because we got sucked into how hard this team's playing and how they, they seem to be you know playing their hearts out, and the Eagles just seem like a team that was ripe to be picked off, but that's just not what happened, Chuck. No, it's, it's the exact opposite of what happened. And yeah. I was in the same train of thought, and I definitely wasn't drunk, Mark, when I sent my picks <laughs> in on a Tuesday afternoon. Give give uh, Fletcher Cox like a you know a little love here because you know he basically went after the defensive coordinator Jonathan Gannon for like not being aggressive, not mixing things up, not blitzing, and you know according to the Philly reporters, they did all of that. So maybe like maybe maybe sometimes it takes like a player leader just be like, let's go, let's go. Especially a player let's- who's kind of playing out of position in this defensive coordinator right. scheme. I mean, statistically, it's not like he blew things up, but as a group, yeah, they did. They're gonna so- they're gonna mess up the score differential thing in the in DVOA with these blowouts because they've now outscored their opponents this year because of Week One and this. You know, by like 10, so you're points. you're pointing out though some people are slavish in their love of uh, DVOA that that it could be oh, manipulated uh, by scores that are well they love out of yeah whack. they love it loves big big blowouts you know that Who appears uh, unsound and unscientific Interesting. well you got to go you know got to go EPA too you got to mix it DVOA exposed <laughs> last word on this How about game DGAF. Shook. Uh, uh, I don't have the last word in this game. Let's just move to the next week for the Lions because it was bad. Yeah, Detroit safety Tra- Tracy Walker said, if this doesn't get better, we're going to be 0-17. Yikes. All right, let's head to Seattle. Shotgun formation, play fake, looks far side. Throws, puts the ball up, reaching up, making a catch. DK Metcalf, touchdown, 
Seahawks! Hey! Hey! Steve Rabel. K-I-R-O. Geno Smith ran for one score. Threw for a pair of touchdown passes to DK Metcalf. And the Seahawks beat up on the Jaguars. 31-7, ending their losing streak. Big win shook for Seattle. It doesn't matter the opponent. They needed a W, and Geno got it done. Yeah, the wins all count the same. I think they lucked out getting Jacksonville the week after their most recent uh, loss to the Saints in prime time. But I'll tell you what, if, if you want to um, choose a non-lock situation to play the Price is Right losing horn that we're so fond of on this show, <laughs> play it for me in my game assignments this week because this one was also <laughs> about as ugly. There it is. It was as about as ugly as that uh, that Eagles Lions game. I'm sitting back watching this going, man, I'm just getting all the blowouts. I was one blowout shy of just hitting the trifecta. But um I mean, yeah, from from a Seahawks perspective, you're you're happy to see Urban Meyer lead his team out of the tunnel, knowing that this is another talent poor roster that all you got to do is not screw up too much and you and hopefully Geno plays well enough for you to win a game. And it's not like they they dominated on the ground. They didn't. They rushed for uh, 69 yards total. But Geno Smith did what pretty much anybody with a brain would do in that situation. Throw the ball to, to DK Metcalf when you're inside the opponent's 30-yard line. He had two touchdown catches. One was a great catch right in front of the inside pylon. The other one just inside the pylon on the opposite side of the end zone. And they did their job. And, and the Jacksonville Jaguars often can't get out of their own way, save for that game in London. I mean, they committed 12 penalties today. They had three turnovers on downs uh, when they reached Seattle territory. And the funniest thing about it is the Seahawks got short fields a lot as a result of that. Their touchdown drive started inside their own 30. So, you know, the challenge wasn't as great this week. And I know it's any given Sunday in this league. And we all know these are the best 1,400 football players on the planet. (laughs) But there was quite a talent discrepancy today. Yeah, but, right, like, Go ahead, but everyone was ready to just like slam if if it had flipped the other way that Gino blew it. I mean, you're kind of underselling it here. He's 13 out of his first 13 for a couple touchdowns and 133 <laughs> yards. And I couldn't help but notice DK Metcalf with a little bit of a subtweet of his uh, starting quarterback after the game saying, you know, I haven't, you know, talking about the jump ball touchdown that he got saying like, haven't really gotten a ball like that since I've gotten here. You know, oh, that stop. that takes trust from my quarterback. And I like oh, I like seeing that. I was like, you know, Greg, I like let that, you have DK. this. Yeah, well, I like that. that. I'll let yeah. you have this, Greg. That's the thing is, Greg, I, I couldn't get into Gino because this is your thing. You know, we got to we got to leave some. A layup right. for you and alley oop there. Right, I'm well, just looking Greg for you to analyze. You know, I haven't watched this 25 quarterbacks closely so. yet, but I'm looking <laughs> for you to like accurately analyze. You know what's happening on the football field as Geno Smith just cashed a 2022 check in the NFL with this performance. That's happening. He's gonna he make it. He's gonna make it one more spend, year at least. Now he's gonna spend every one of those dollars proudly. And you know who else is gonna be happy after this one? Tyler Lockett, who has not really been involved in their offense in recent weeks. He, he had 12 catches for 142 yards. He probably ended up on a few fantasy benches this week, and myself included, mm. are, are probably mm. like, ah, oh, I should have played him. This is the one week where they actually did something with him. But you know, it all spends the same. I'd like uh, to see Urban Meyer purchase a book on Amazon called Here's What You Actually Are Supposed to Do During a Bye Week. I mean, they, <laughs> I mean, how do you come out this stale and this putrid after you've had a chance to go tinker with your offense? They put Trevor Lawrence. Oh, I know. Looks to, yes. Well, Dan, you were high on Trevor Lawrence coming into this game. Not so really. He did you wrong? I was at no. I was asked to come up with like a, a thought or some type of hot take for the TV okay. show that I didn't believe in. Um, oh. <laughs> my, my take is that Urban Meyer is not good at this, and uh, that's why things didn't work out. That yeah, take feels that's correct. He's I mean, bad. When, when Dan Arnold is your leading receiver, I mean, I, and as I watched it, I was like, 
I mean, I don't even know how to really analyze Trevor Lawrence because I just don't mm. really believe what he's working with. I don't believe in that. I mean, I like Marvin Jones, but I mean, they're, they're still lacking a lot. And Trevor was very up and down. There are times where he misses open throws. Guy's right in front of him. He's putting it in the dirt. Um, I think he's he's in a bit of a Tim Couch situation right now where he's just he's on a team that, that lacks you know talented players, and, and this is what it's going to look like for a while. It was a revenge game. It was a Pete Carroll and Seahawks fans revenge game against uh, Daryl Bevel and Brian Schottenheimer, like the ghosts of annoying offensive coordinators <laughs> past on the opposite sidelines. And speaking, Greg- of, uh, speaking of DVOA, after yeah. this game, oh, yeah. Seahawks uh, folks, I can't remember exactly who it was. Somebody from the Seahawks was like, hey, see the DVOA numbers? We're pretty good. I think it was Pete Carroll. He was like, <laughs> yeah, it was we're Carol. better than our record shows. Just look at DVOA. Grandpa Carroll said that? Yeah, yeah. he did. I was wow. kind of shocked by that, yeah. Um and Greg, you're right, because uh, Gino failed miserably the first three weeks where he's going he, in. He, he literally covered the spread three straight weeks. Oh yeah, and he played two great defenses the first unbelievable two weeks. three spread and zero. If but if, he needed if you it, bet this Gino, was... you could be a rich man by I now. I know, but his job is not to cover the spread, Greg. You do it's like he I, from a I, different I, angle. He's, he's supposed to do a don't little more him, than don't that. Don't let him get you, Mark. He, okay. He's trying I to reel you in. Seattle hits the bye now, and then Dangerous probably is going to be back, but we don't know. But probably will. I mean, unless they decide to go with Gino. Because he's, you know, according to scouting <laughs> but, reports, he's he no, close. The, the timing couldn't be better. Let's get to the bye. Let's get Russell Wilson back in there. Have this be the last. Exactly. Moment, the, Gino good. had one more chance to make sure he was going to stay in the NFL. He did it. So let's let's put the cap on another season of everyone's favorite show. And that was another edition of sipping on vino, checking on Gino. That means Frags and her drop's going to be back in 2022 as well, and I'm not mad about that. Nick Shook, thank you. Not only did you get two dog games, uh, the taping's different right now because of Halloween night, and it's 1 a.m. Uh, where you're at. And we <laughs> we love you, man, and we will make it up to you somehow. I promise you that. Yeah, I wanted to give you a little bit of inside baseball here. People watching this uh, will notice that I, I don't have the typical backdrop because no. <laughs> it was midnight, and, and honestly, I wasn't going to do everything necessary to set the table up to get behind that pretty background when this will suffice for right now. But I will say this, Greg, once you retire from football and everything, I don't know when that's going to be. <laughs> Greg retires from football. What, what are you trying to retire me? Now. Yeah, you'll still have more hair than me. But I, you also have a great job opportunity in front of you, and that is Geno Smith's going to run for office, and you will be his campaign Ooh. manager, and it'll be like that retirement job that you're doing just because you're bored. Ooh, I like that. A high-paid consultant's job, yeah. I could just imagine Gino, you know, you know, kissing babies and Glad-handing. pressing flesh. <laughs> yes, because if there's valley. one thing I think about Gino, it's like he's a people person. He knows <laughs> how to connect my baby, with those, please. the people around him. Um, all right, there you go. Nick Shook, thank you, buddy. Have a good night. Thanks, guys. Good slumber. There he goes. All right, we have two more games. Let's uh, let's hit him quick and say good night. Denver rushes four again. Heineke steps on the pocket, loads it up. Home run ball. This is going to be out of the back of the end zone. Incomplete with no time left. Let me make sure it is over in Denver. <laughs> Happy Halloween. <laughs> That's three. I think we set it at four and a half, Mark, so we got a problem here. Justin Simmons and the Broncos held after a fumble gave Washington the ball back with a chance uh, to tie the game. The Broncos also blocked two field goals. 
<laughs> what a setup. You know the game's bad when this is the setup of the game. 17-10 win. They stop a four-game losing streak. I feel like 400 teams stopped a four-game losing streak today. Anyway, Mark, tell me something about this game that's interesting. <laughs> I, I would point to the reason that, that they were saying, like, let's check if this game is really over. Because it should have been over. Um a minute or so earlier. And I actually, you know, we, we, in our, in our um, channel where we can communicate with each other, I'm not allowed to say the actual company's name, I think, but uh, we will send the play that we want to use for the call. And I, it was going to be the Justin Simmons interception that ended this thing. But then, you know, the, the this drove me nuts. The Broncos, uh, and this was such a Vic Fangio type of scenario where he was going, he was very annoyed, but they basically just had to get, just get a first down or run the clock out. And instead, Melvin Gordon fumbles the ball like within less inside a minute. And this came after Javonta Williams fumbled a few plays earlier and recovered it. Then Teddy Bridgewater threw a terrible wayward pass on second down that didn't take any time off the clock. They almost gave the game away, point being. Go watch that just to see how mismanaged that was. But other than that, I would say this about the Broncos. Um, It was an inspired defensive effort for the most part with no Von Miller in there. Guys like Shelby Harris, who I think had both blocks on those field goals, played out of his mind. And you got from Teddy Bridgewater outside of, you know, that one little last minute, which really wasn't his fault, um, a really solid kind of Teddy Bridgewater game that you thought you'd get. And Washington, um, the red zone woes hurt them early on. You know, Ron Rivera said after the game, we're basically a team in search of ourselves still. And they are, and they're just not there. And the idea that they were going to like other teams, pick up from where they were a year ago. No, um, this maybe gives you a little bit hope uh, for Denver because if they, if they can get this from Teddy and they can get this from the defense, arrow up. But I think you just played another average team. This game felt six and a half hours long to me. Uh, the... <laughs> I mean, yeah, I can, you can't even give the defense that much love when I think Washington had eight drives that went to the 36-yard line of Denver's or, or further. And they finished with 10 points. That's almost impossible to do. So they lived deep in Broncos territory. And then Heineke happened. I mean, that last couple of... I did watch the very end of this game, and that's it. The last couple of Washington sequences were were unreal. How badly executed they were on offense. And I'm sure it was somewhat good defense, but it was more just bad offense. It was Well, it was better than like the Denver defense that we've been watching though. Sure. But it has a lot to do with who they play. Everything talk. And this game. I I just mean it was it was rough. I know we've we've Heineke's doing his best, but it's tough. It's a tough It was a hard watch. It's a tough sitch. That big stand at the end prevented the first winless October for the Broncos since nineteen sixty seven. Let's take a break and then close this thing out. Second and 10. Stafford from the gun. Looking right. Throwing. End zone. Cooper Cup's got it. Touchdown, L.A. An 11-yard strike to the NFL's leading receiver to put this one on ice. Matt Stafford threw for 305 yards and three touchdowns in three quarters. That's J.B. Long, KSPN with the call, by the way. And the Rams dominated the Texans. 38-22. That doesn't even tell the story. Los Angeles had a 38-zip lead when Sean McVay pulled his quarterback from the game. Uh, So that is four straight wins uh, for the Rams, seven straight losses for the Texans, uh, who are the worst team in football. And there are some bad teams in football. There always are. But I think Texans are the worst. 
Cooper Cup continues to be on a record-setting pace, guys. That's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean this is, this is a tough situation. Um my daughter really enjoyed it. I mean, she is it was fun to be at home and just see how locked in she is the Rams game and she That's was cool. living it. She was dying. She loves the blowouts. She's dying when they give up some plays up 38 nothing. Texans score 22 points in the span of 6 minutes to get one of the all-time backdoor covers. I think the line ended at 16 and a half. They go for two as if they knew what the line was oh. to cut it to 16 and get it. Depends when you know you you pick the game, but if you did it like right before game time, that's an all an all-timer. Um, I, I don't know what else to say about this. Yeah, the Texans Ooh. had, I think, had, what, 77 yards of offense going into the fourth quarter. It's, they, you're right. You had to run the clock in the this worst game. Team. This right. Is, They're the worst, the they clock. are the worst team. I totally, Player safety. We talked about this last week, actually, you know, off air, but that I totally supported them at 32, despite, you know, that win, they won, they won win. They're terrible. Uh, yes. So there you go. And uh, that is the longest losing streak for the Texans since they lost 14 games in a row to end the 2013 season. They stink, and Deshaun Watson will be on that roster until the offseason. It sounds like that is at least a story. I guess if there's anything for the Texans um, in terms of a reprieve here, yes, you're not going to get Deshaun Watson out of your life, but once the trade deadline passes Mm. and it's now very clear that he is not going to play a snap on the field, it wouldn't make any sense on a number of levels, he this is that story I think is going to disappear and then come back with a vengeance come the offseason. But uh, the we'll Rams, see. Stephen Ross was that I don't know. I still, Stephen but there's Ross nothing that could happen. The, the story can't right. move forward after right. the deadline. Am I right? right. No, right. I'm saying I just need to get to the I deadline. Need, yeah, we need to pass that deadline. Deshaun Jackson will not be on the Rams, by the way, by the time we get past that deadline. I don't know if they'll find anyone to trade him, but it sounds like they're just going to cut him. They brought in someone I was not familiar with late in this game, Squarnick who was catching uh, passes down the field. And I was like, oh, he looks okay. I the, guess Deshaun Jackson really will never play the for this team again. The problem for any team that trades for Deshaun Jackson is he's er- he's already past the window, the two-week window in September where he's awesome. So I don't know. Unless it resets when he joins a new team and you get that first month back, I don't know. Or they, you know. or you're building for next September and you just, you're just you stashing him. Ah, he's going to get cut. He's going to sign with someone as a free agent. That was, All right. That Before be we say goodbye, let's talk the last game that was played on Sunday. Sunday night football from Minneapolis. Do not ever count out Cooper Rush. Oh, Sunday night. First and goal to the end zone. And it is held for the touchdown. Cooper. Amari Cooper. Over Cameron Dantzler, 75 yards in eight plays to take the lead. I love this Cowboys team. I do. And I think a lot of people feel the same way. Even people that hate the Cowboys are like, man, this team knows what it's doing. With Dak Prescott sidelined as a precaution with that calf injury, Cooper Rush steps in and looks good. He wasn't perfect. He threw a bad pick. He lost the fumble. But he also threw for 325 yards with two touchdowns, including that go-ahead score late to Amari Cooper after Zeke Elliott had a huge third-down conversion. Uh, and the Cowboys drop a 2016 loss on the Vikings, Mark. 
I mean, we'll get to the Vikings. It's a brutal loss for the Vikings that really takes a lot of wind out of their sails. But for the Cowboys, they're 6-1 and one in what almost felt like a giveaway game, and they went and won the damn thing. It's the kind of win that uh, makes you I, – I also am really enjoying this Cowboys team, and the ceiling feels completely unknown just because, uh, you know, eking out something like this – uh, where uh, Cooper Rush didn't know, didn't know, you know, short shortly before the game if he was going to play or not, and you know they had Dak Prescott doing a, a variety of workouts where I thought he looked spry, he looked pretty good, and it's like suddenly Cooper Rush is in there, and I thought that he grew after a couple. He could have had maybe three interceptions in the first half. He had a, he had one that was a, you know ricocheted off someone. I thought he grew more comfortable as the game went on. Obviously, made some big passes down down the stretch. Uh, it, it, to me, like the ending was also delightful because, and this was from NFL Research, the Cooper rush to Amari Cooper touchdown. And I know everyone was saying Cooper to Cooper. I get it. We all understand that. But it is the first <laughs> time in NFL history where the passer's first name and a receiver's last name are an exact match. Thank to thank you to listeners who sent that. Uh, my way, but I just thought it was a win where the Cowboys, I start to think more about Mike McCarthy. I start to think more about the whole coaching staff, the way that they're able to overcome. The analysis these. was going so well till, till we hit that Cooper Cooper. The first time in NFL history. That's Death kind drop. of, that's kind of insane, right? I mean, you could, <laughs> you could think in your head that there would be it's last kind of name, close first to name. Scorigami for me, Mark, to be totally honest. I know, but you know what? There's a pocket of our audience, maybe a very small pocket, like that little tiny, tiny pocket in your jeans where you just put some coins. Oh, the but cute little pocket, pocket in the front there? Yeah, the little cute, cute little pocket. pocket. Like some people are like this kind of stuff. Greg, take it from there. <laughs> Greg, over to you. <laughs> what, what, um, what a defensive performance. I mean, I think that's, that's what we're learning. I know... You know, defenses matter based on how good the offense is that they're playing against sometimes. But these were two top 10-ish type defenses coming into the game, and one looked much better. You know, mm. I know Patrick Peterson was missing, but one of them gave up 400 yards to Cooper Rush and, and a game-winning touchdown drive when all you had to do was at least just stop it, you know, make it a field goal, and at least you can go to overtime. Zeke Elliott, you mentioned, runs through that tackle by Anthony Barr. Cooper Moss's Dantzler. I mean, that was just an awesome play. It was not an underrated catch. Everyone knows it was an awesome catch, but that was a difficult catch uh, to win the game. Uh, They held them under 300 yards, the Vikings. Kirk Cousins, I think, threw the ball 20 times for 79 yards in the second half. It's like you got to give them love. It's all sorts of dudes up front, too. It's a Diggy Zua. Micah Parsons is a beast. Obviously, Gregory's been great, but it's a lot of guys contributing. We all have friends that are Vikings fans, and they are an agitated fan base. And, Dan, I think you mentioned on the last show how the Vikings go to sleep on offense, and we saw that tonight, and it was embarrassing. I mean, the same thing happened against the Browns a few weeks back, as I recall. They go right down the field on the first drive. Cousins hits Adam Thielen. And you're thinking they're off and running, and Cooper Cup, uh, Cooper Rush is the other quarterback on the other side, and this is going to be a four quarter party uh, for the Vikings. And then just a, a completely different game broke out, and I think Cousins was, you know, he was pretty amped up and agitated throughout this game. I thought, and Mike Zimmer looked very annoyed with the offense uh, and how it performed in this game. And when you look at, you know, the weapons, uh, Dalvin Cook uh, was held in check. Um, he wasn't bad, but did not have a big-time game. I thought he would in this game. And then you look, 
you know, Thielen did some things, had the touchdown, but Justin Jefferson had two catches for 21 yards on four targets. KJ Osborne, who we've been talking up, he had two catches uh, for 10 yards, and there just wasn't anyone else that was able to step up and make the big play. So, like, the and, you know, I've been talking about the Vikings on this podcast, so they're interesting to me. When you have a game like this, it's just like, man, I don't know if this team's ever going to figure it out. They might just be one of those one step forward, two step back teams all year. And then by the time you get to January, you look up and they're eight and nine and being like, I can't believe we let this season slip away. I'm starting to have some real doubts about them after this performance. One for 13 on third down, another indicator that they can go real, real silent on that side of the ball. Um, I think Mike Zimmer um, coaches like it's 1989 still at at times. Uh, It's not, you know, entirely on everyone, but I'm with you. They're an eight win team that, or they're a nine win team that we're going to, we, I, we already, you know how I feel about this, but they're going to get hard ejector seated out of this situation at some point. And I don't need to put <laughs> my faith into what they're doing. I don't, I, know, I don't I, need I to see, see it I know all. what you're saying there, Mark. Sometimes that's one thing where we just have a different viewpoint on football where you will write off a team if they're not going to win the Super Bowl. Like, I think not only could the Vikings, Despite what I just said, if they found their uh, way to win a couple of games, I think they could take somebody out in January. I still think they are a team that could be a thorn in someone's side and, and have a run in them. But th- this this type of loss is just like, man, are you just never going to figure it out? And maybe that's not being fair to the Cowboys, who had an awesome performance, especially on defense and what Rush was able to do. Um but it, the frustration is real because you know there is a a winning team somewhere in that locker room in Minnesota, and it just refuses to come out. And, the, and maybe some, there isn't. Right. There's some bad luck involved. I mean, Cooper Rush started this game-winning touchdown drive by throwing a ball directly into Bashad Breland's gut, and, and then it <laughs> bounced off the gut into his hand up in the air into Amari Cooper's hands for like a 40-yard <laughs> gain. So it was like the game was yeah. over if, if Breland makes that play. But – but they had seven drives of four plays or less. I, I, we, I, we look at, you know, we try not to like think that like it's a, this prime time or big game thing, but I don't know, man, I've watched every Kirk cousins game this year. This was the worst one. You know, it really was. I know they only had seven points about Cleveland, but this was the, this was the first one where it was like, he, he was a big part of the problem. He was in the you Gabbard know? zone and it was, he was legit. He was freaking out. I'm glad you mentioned that he just seemed amped up. It's like, it was like the game's bigger. So me and Zimmer are going to be more amped up and it doesn't seem like it helps out that way. Wait, so know. yeah, amped up doesn't translate, unfortunately, <laughs> where it does for some other quarterbacks. There was a, there was a play in the first half. I think it was either uh, their, maybe their third possession uh, when it was a third down conversion attempt. And they showed it on the replay. NBC Cousins is going through his progressions. Someone flashes, I believe, open over the middle. And the receiver, I'm thinking, based on the reaction, does something that Cousins didn't want. So Cousins looks away and then dumps it off for a, a uh, some type of a dump out pass that didn't get the first down. And he's like screaming in anger as yeah. he's moving down to the check down. <laughs> and I'm like, who does that in the middle of the play? Like he was so amped up. <laughs> Uh, maybe the moment did get too big for him. I don't know. I don't want to have those Kirk Cousins conversations anymore. I knew they drove Wes crazy as well. Uh, but, man, I see what you're saying, Greg. He didn't play well with a lot of people watching him tonight. Well, how about this? How about right before the half when they were trying to get something going and they had the seconds were running out and they looked like it looked like the second preseason game with a quarterback that had been in college three months ago. They couldn't get Ooh. the snap. I mean, it was just no, it was just like 
hyper disorganized. And it's just an, the earmark of a team that's going to get caught off guard at some point, And it's going to be bye bye. See you later. Check you. <laughs> check you again in 2022. <laughs> Marcus is trying to cross off teams. I am, I, like you're I'm not, not this is not like a I'm bold not, take, Mark. I don't think anybody sees the, the Vikings right now as a Super Bowl team. Like, yes, eventually they will be crossed off and you won't have to think about it. We're calling them super fun. And I think the problem is that if you ask most Vikings fans, the, it's fun for us because we can jump out of it when they suddenly do this. But if you're following this team week to week, you are being driven nuts. It's like you're running through a field and you've got like 80 people shooting arrows at you. You're going to go down. It's not going to work out for you. <laughs> I'm with you, man. It is fun when they win. It's just really not fun when they lose. This team, I don't know. There's The highs are highs and the lows are low. Good for the Cowboys, though. Man, I got a lot of work to do uh, with the power rankings. That, mm. that beast now begins tonight after this podcast wraps. I don't know what to make of the top ten is, like, very, very Why don't tricky. you do something really, um, like, that, Imagine there's like 12 people doing power rankings, like if not 112 people, but like the 12 main guys, you're in that group, that crew of writers, like do something so bizarre that it's like it catches total fire, like illogical. Jets number, number one, one you two know. and three. I don't mean, I mean <laughs> like top. someone at a left well, we, field. I remember well, I don't we want to upset Pat we McAfee. Other, I have his trust. So I we, don't, we I don't talked, do I remember to, after you know. last Sunday, I was like, Put the, put that Cowboys team number one, maybe. Yeah, put that put that's them right nice. up there. there that's you nice. Go. They're looking good. I like you that. Got, you got the Packers at seven and one. The Rams are seven and one. The Cowboys are six and one. Probably one of those three teams are number one. Arizona's going to drop out. Of put that the Pats spot. number one. Let's go. Oh man. <laughs> oh man. All right, Ricky. I'm glad you had a good time at the game. Speak, speaking you. of quickly yeah. on uh, very thank quickly, you. you know, for the New England sports scene. You know, I'm talking, glad you're going to say this, Greg. Talking I was Pats. just about to do it, but it's better oh, really? that you do it. No, I just want to say rest in peace mm. to Jerry Remy. What what a great broadcaster Legend. he was um, for the Red Sox. Um, just bringing like joy. No one had more fun. Like I am so happy I got to spend like 20 years just listening to him every day because no one had more fun and made sports more fun than him listening to him every day so it was sad uh, he, had, he had cancer seven different times and he battled, battled it and was on the air for a lot of it um, but, but lost lost his life today but what, a, what an influence he had for like a bunch of you know millions and millions of kids in New England watching those games every for day sure. I remember when I went to uh, college and, and up in Boston and and, you know, the Red Sox are always on in the background um, with all the, you know, natives of the region at the school. And, uh, you know, even as a Yankees fan, I loved I loved Remy because he was so uh, – he was a real dude. He had a sense of humor. He had that accent. He was a Massachusetts dude through and through, a New England guy. And, uh, yeah, his, uh, his presence was hilarious, too. Legit funny, which almost no one, I feel like – not maybe that's not fair, but, like, legit funny for a That's true. Awesome. That's true. One of the great broadcasters uh, gone too soon. All right. There we go. Week eight. I mean, we're all messed up now, uh, Mark, because of uh, the 17-game season, but we're kind of at the halfway point now of the regular season, and that's – yeah. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't really – week eight never was really the halfway point of anything, and even in the regular – just the regular well, season to begin with last time. Just it was to like, prevent yeah. any tweets or whatever, the end of next week would officially be halfway because there's now 18 weeks, and next week's week nine. So 
if we're looking for a halfway <laughs> nine, 18 divided by two. Oh man, we got to go through an entire full week just to get to the halfway point. Now that's, that, that does feel taxing. That's that true feels now. taxing. That's dark. All right. Good stuff. I hope everybody had a, a happy and safe Halloween and uh, we will be back on Tuesday. It will be the trade deadline edition of the Around the NFL podcast, podcast or maybe just a regular edition of the podcast if nothing notable happens uh, on the trade landscape. But either way, we hope you're there listening. And uh, thank you for always tuning in. This is Dan Hansa signing off for Quiet Storm, the old boss, Ricky Hollywood. There's a happy grave digger somewhere. The pipe. Good stuff. Until Tuesday. Heed the call. That grave digger put on the side make make Titans number one. Yeah, that would be bold. That that would be bold.